is Panama Today, your host Bill Wilbur, right here on the Panama Canal, right here in Gamboa. We're glad you're with us. Got a great message that I preached at a previous time here in Gamboa. Get out your Bible if you're not driving and open to the book of Exodus. And we'll be getting right into that message right away. Exodus 16 is the passage right after, shortly after the passing through the Red Sea. And the people are hungry. Exodus 16. Let's pray first. Lord, we ask that you open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice. Thank you for this report, Lord, of what you're doing in other spots of the world. We thank you, Lord. We know this is not an isolated case. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, testimonies that, uh, that's on the radio this week is of a Chinese pastor who, because of persecution and because of the believer's fear of persecution, they meet in a large room, hundreds of people in the dark. The pastor cannot even see who's out there. Of course, he can't see any notes. He has to know everything here in his head. He has to know the scripture in his head. And the people are all in the dark, and that's for security reasons, so that if they're ever interrogated, they don't know who ounce is there. And so if there's any spies in there, they don't know who ounce is there because they can't see anything. That's quite an experience, isn't it? And they, they meet for hours like that. And that's the price that people are paying around the world simply to know more about Jesus. Exodus 16, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, they should be grumbling against God because God's the one that brought them, but because those are the leaders, the prophet or the leader usually gets the brunt of the damage done against him. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. I have verse 4 underlined in my Bible, the second part there. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Verse 5, on the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather another day. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. When Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appeared appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. 
You notice the number of times it's grumbling. It's not their prayers he heard. It was their grumbling they heard, which is like complaining, murmuring. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes of light fro- thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. John 6, please. Very quickly to take note of what Jesus says about this event. I realize that I have spoken on this passage before and I gave reference to it last week as well. But through the help of a video this week by T.D. Jakes, just one or two things he said the other night got me thinking and gave me some fresh insight. There were many insights on that video, but uh, these were just two of them I want to share with you today. In John 6, 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's that? It's Jesus, okay? And this is the passage right after he fed the 5,000. So they're, they're commenting on this. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. That's a wonderful verse there when you're ever trying to help a person who feels totally unworthy, who feels totally gone, that God won't accept them, that, they, they, uh, that they've lived too horrible lives, and that if they come to Jesus, he's going to uh, send them away. And this is one passage, there are others, but this is one clear passage where the Scripture says that he won't send them away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That would be God the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Here are the two insights that I receive from this passage of Scripture the feeding of the Israelites in the desert and consequently the feeding of the 5,000 in Jesus' commentary here. The first is this, that when God provided for them at the time of hunger, even though it was in the midst of grumbling, they went out on the desert floor and there was the provision of God. And their response was, what is it? Now, I would just submit to you to think for a moment of the number of times that we or you individually have prayed for a certain thing in your life. There's been a need in your life, a direction in your life, and when God has answered it, in so many words you have said, what is it? In other words, the provision of God did not look like the provision of God that you would have expected or you would have imagined. And it's interesting the number of times that we pray something and we also all at the same time envision how God will answer this. I know the number of times 
that I've just been conversing with my family or my wife, I've said, you know, wouldn't it be great if God did such and such and such? In other words, we've been praying for this, and this would be a good way God could do it. See? And, and the whole thing of Moses standing before the Red Sea that afternoon, or morning, whatever time of day it was, and he's standing there, and he's got a, a whole bunch of water in front of him, and, and pursuing Egyptians behind him, and to look for an answer at that particular point, there's all kinds of things a person could have going through their mind. But the Lord basically says, stand back and see the hand of the Lord. What I will do, I will end up receiving the glory from that answer to prayer. And that's what he says to the Israelites. Even though they're grumbling, he says, I will answer their grumbling. I will still provide for their needs, and they will see the glory of the Lord. When the whole thing is over, nobody can take any credit for it, except God. I mean, the whole Bible is really full of God's surprises. The feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness. They came up with a plan. They said, well, send, see, send Philip off into the... Philip, see how much we've got here, and then send the disciples off into the neighboring town. Well, gee, even if we had this amount of money, who's going to bring it back enough for 500 men plus the women and children? I mean, this is totally beyond our imagination. And part of the reason Jesus said that was just to get them to survey the circumstances, see how hopeless and helpless they were in it, and then provide for it and receive the honor and the glory from that. Now that was physical bread. He transfers the analogy into bread, spiritual bread, and he says, there is nothing you can do to feed your spiritual thirst in your life. I am the true bread that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And people, no matter what you might do and what I might do to try to satisfy that need, that craving in our life, it is only Jesus who can do it. The time when I received Christ into my life, I was searching for an answer. To what degree I was searching, I don't know. I just know there was a vacuum. I was stumbling along. I did not know I was looking for Jesus Christ as the answer to the spiritual vacuum in my life. I do know that after I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, saw the love of Jesus, and gave my life to him, the lights began to go on inside, and I said, this is what I've been searching for all the time, and I didn't know it. And many times when the, when the gospel is presented to someone who has all kinds of needs, it's basically the response is, what is it? You know? It's, it's a bigger pill I need, a bigger car, a different relationship, a different job, a different vocation, a different place to live in. Whatever it might be, this is how I envision how my needs can be met. And Jesus is saying the very essence of life, quality and quantity, the very essence of life is Jesus himself. I am the bread of life. You see, no matter how many things you might have, and no matter how many friends or relationships you might have, and no matter how you might construct the surroundings around you to be pleasing to you at a particular time, they will change. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. What is it? Don't limit God on how he's going to answer your, your need for provision in your life. And those provisions are all kinds, aren't they? There's guidance that we need. There's physical needs that we have. There's financial needs. There's relationship needs, occupational needs, all kinds of needs that we have. And all these things lie out in front of us like a big unknown. 
And like the, the Lord said to Joshua, He said, I'm sending an angel before you because you have not been this way before. Tomorrow, this afternoon, you've never been that way before. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know what it's like to be a parent if you haven't had children yet. You don't know what it's like to be grandparents if you haven't had grandparents yet. You don't know what it's like to have aging parents if you haven't had aging parents yet. You don't know these things. You can read the books. You can hear testimonies of other people. But you have not been this way before. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am your provision while you go this way that you've never been before. The second insight that I received from this is that in verse 4 of Exodus 16, it says, you're to go out and gather it up. How many of you have ever heard, God helps those who help themselves? How many of you heard that little honey? Okay, that comes from the book of Hezekiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Well, there's no book of Hezekiah, and there's no 9, and there's no 6, and there's no verse like that in the Bible. But many people think that verse is in the Bible. But there is an element of truth there. But the truth is reversed. And it's this. That God does the provision, but it's man's responsibility to receive it. Salvation has been supplied, but man needs to make the decision to, re to receive. And in the bread, the flakes, the manna, out on the desert floor. They could open their tent flaps that morning. They can look out, and somebody rushes out and says, what is it? People are still trying to figure it out. Somebody says, I think this is what we're going to live on for a while. And they try a little, and they say, this must be it. And other people can look on it and, and, and look at the other people who are trying this particular thing. And uh, those people who, in order to try it, had to make a decision. Not just to look at it, but to walk out their tent and make a decision, a choice to gather it up. Now, some people might have sat in their tents. I don't know whether they did or not. But their choice was there to sit in their tent, roll over, hit the snooze alarm, or whatever the thing might be, and take time. And after a while, when the hunger sits in deeper and deeper, they look at their neighbors who have gathered this up, and they say, there seems to be enough for everyone... And there's enough for everyone, whether everyone gathers it or not. You understand? But a decision has to be made to receive that. Now, whatever form of need that there is of, of the blessing that you need in your life, the provision that you need in your life, as God promises it through His Word or opens up the opportunities, there still needs a decision on your point, part to say, I will take what the Lord provides in His way. You see, it has to come in the way the Lord does it. You don't set it out on how you are going to be saved. That's the problem with many people. They say, well, I've come up with this idea. I'll do this. I'll do this. Those are all works. I think this would be the way to be saved. Oh, a good God wouldn't do this. And they're telling what God would do and what He wouldn't do instead of listening to what God says He will do and He won't do. But when we come to that point of seeing His Word and seeing His promises to us, we have to receive those on His terms. And His terms are to come in humility. His terms are to come uh, receiving, acknowledging our sin, recognizing that He is the source. And that hits right home at our pride, and we don't want to take it on those terms. There's many people who say, I'll wait till later. 
until I have some kind of say, some kind of control, some kind of, of part in this provision. And God says, as long as you're going to come that way, don't come at all. Because you either come the way I say to come, and let me provide it the way I say I will provide it, and it, that is the only way that it will meet your need. Don't come at all unless you come my way. Now, how do you activate the promises of God? How do you activate the blessing of God? How do you activate the bread of life into your, into your life? It's simple. There's first coming in humility, acknowledging that he's the creator, I'm the creature. I'm the one that has the needs, not the one who is the one providing. Secondly, as I confess my sin, I acknowledge my sin. Fourthly, as I receive that into my life, say, oh, Lord, I receive that provision, that direction for my life. And then the way it is activated then into my life, even though I don't see it yet, is with that wonderful word in the Bible called praise and thanksgiving. It's beginning to praise the Lord and acknowledge Him as my provider, as the one who guides, as the one who sustains, as the one who saves. Whatever the need is, I acknowledge Him in that particular area, even before I have begun to see with these eyes and hear with these ears, the deliberate, direct answer which I need. And the Bible tells us that is what activates faith because in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. And that is why you will see in congregations and among individuals, people who praise the Lord, people who are beginning to enter into a life of worship and praise, they begin to see the other manifestations of the Spirit of God as well. They begin to see the miraculous happening in their midst in this life of praise and in this life of worship. Let's bow our heads, please. You know, others' opinions about how and when you receive the promises of God in your life really don't matter, do they? There's many people who have sat back at an altar call that's been given an opportunity for prayer and because of other people's opinions have missed the blessing of God. And to be stuck in a tent watching your buddy go out and gather up enough manna for the day, I would, I would rather go out and gather the manna and put up with my buddy's accusations and thoughts and everything else and have a full stomach through the day and that's what the Lord's desire is for us, that we would be filled spiritually and, and appropriate, receive the blessings of God into our life. And that's done in the manner that I said, of coming humbly, confessing our sins, asking, receiving, and then appropriate, uh, appropriating it by praise. Father, in Jesus' name, as a congregation and as individuals, we want to submit our lives to you right now. We want to submit ourselves to you, Father. We, commit, uh, we come on your terms and we humbly bow before you. And we confess our sins before you. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help every person in this room to begin to appropriate the need in their life, to know what your word says pertaining to that need, whether it's physical or spiritual, financial, for direction, whatever that need is, to know that your provi provision is there. 
and to begin to activate that by praising the Lord. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you.